0: do
1: paternity
2: tests in the emergency department. emergency. I need to know the father is sad. This is why we have eyelids so our eyes don't fly
1: out. <laughs> don't disturb God, Jen.
3: <laughs> Holding this baby out of their door.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you swab this? <laughs>
3: Hello, all you wonderful people out there. Episode 2 of the Epinephrens. I am Rob Brandt, and I am delighted that you've come to join us down this chaotic, madness-filled trip, that is, the insights to the ER world and the world behind the world. This episode is Hollywood endings, and things that happen in the ER are often dramatic and often crazy. And, you know, sometimes it's a happy ending, but sometimes there's a lot of sad outcomes. But these are the cases that, stick out as the beautiful Hollywood ending. So, for those of you who are new to the show, remember that everything that we say here is usually based on truth, but we alter the facts to uh, protect the innocent. Otherwise, this is going to be an insight to the crazy world that is Hollywood Endings. Every so often, I have experiences in the ED where I step back and say to myself, did that really just happen? A quick example is when a patient asked me to test his blood for the level of crack in it. He wanted a precise number so that he could sue his drug dealer. Yep, that's real. He thought his illegal drugs were not pure enough, so his plan was to take his drug dealer to court. I told you that short story so I can tell you this one. Working the night shift at our standalone ED means six busy hours followed by a gradual slowing into the night. Few people arrive after midnight and the place dies at around two in the morning. I was sitting at my desk watching cat videos on YouTube, you know, as I do. The entire building went black. Four seconds later, the power returned and the sound of multiple computers resetting peppered the previously silent background. What just happened? I asked one of the two nurses sitting a short distance away. Generator check. Once a month it resets to make sure it's working properly, one said. Ten minutes later, at 4.45 a.m., a patient arrived. She had the ghastly appearance seen only in the critically ill. Her wide-eyed expression clearly conveyed her distress, and her gray skin cemented her condition. Her husband's face showed complete panic. The two nurses and I rushed into the room while registration quickly got her into the computer. The patient breathed rapidly while conveying her story. "'I I woke up from a dead sleep fifteen minutes ago with crushing chest pain. It's tearing into my back, and I can't breathe. I've never had anything like this, ever!' the woman reported. Despite being an isolated ED, we have the necessary technology to perform everything we need, unless the generator just reset. I quickly obtained the rest of her history and did a physical. For a 58-year-old, she was quite healthy. Well, she used to be. Her past medical history included only hypertension and diabetes, both well controlled. I called the CT tech. "It, It sounds like a dissection. She needs to be scanned now, I said to him. I considered all these scary chest pain causes that she could have an MI, PE, aortic dissection, but regardless, I needed to find the cause. Now, with her being the only patient in the ED, I figured we could scan her immediately. CT is down, he said. What? How? Why? I said. It's down for an hour. The generator reset takes an hour, he said. I called the EMS for transport. I lacked the diagnosis, but I knew I could not fix her here. The first EKG was handed to me. Normal. That's good. I checked on the patient again. Her husband paced the hallway outside her room while she panted and became grayer. Her pulse increased. We started an IV, gave an aspirin, some pain medicines, and oxygen, and drew some labs. At this time, I had a light bulb moment. I called our ultrasound tech, and she wheeled over her large machine so we could scan the heart and the surrounding vessels. They looked normal. Neither of us saw any dissection, nor did we see any right heart strain that thought might accompany a massive PE. I called the main ED to tell my partner about the patient. Mid-conversation, my nurse told me that her cardiac monitor looked different and she was printing another EKG for me. Thank goodness for ED nurses. Roughly 10 minutes had passed since the last EKG. Tombstones, massive ST segment elevations. She actually was having a heart attack. The lights flickered off and on again. The good news? The generator was done testing. The bad news was that this reset all the computers and instruments again. I paged the interventional cardiologist to let him know a cath lab patient would be soon en route. The paramedics arrived. Then I heard what every emergency physician hates to hear. My name shouted loudly by a trusting nurse. I ran back and saw my nurse leaning over the patient, feeling for a pulse. I checked and then she started compressions. I grabbed the crash cart. We need the crash cart, I said, while wheeling over the cart. The other nurse looked at me while wheeling the cart. She raised her eyebrows as if to say, Good idea, genius. Keep wheeling. We halted CPR and checked the monitor. Ventricular fibrillation. Her terrified husband locked eyes with me for a split second as we heard the machine charge. Shock. Her body jolted. We continued CPR. After a minute, she started groaning. Then... As if on Baywatch, the patient sat straight up and groggily spoke. Where am I? What's, what's going on? EMS transferred her to their cot and transported her to the downtown hospital. Deep breath. The sudden quiet felt odd after the chaos that had just transpired. I looked at my two nurses with a, did that just happen, expression. Deep breath. Three weeks later... I received the nicest thank you card of my life from a woman who came as close to death as a person can before making a complete recovery. She received a cardiac cath and a stent and recovered well. So many things could have gone wrong, did go wrong, but despite it all, we managed to save a life. Everyone who works in the ED has plenty of stories where things went bad, but looking back, I find it's important to remember what is truly important. I have had multiple shifts where I feel frustrated by admin, drug seekers, angry inebriates, or bad interactions with entitled patients. Remember why you chose this career. The Hollywood endings happen rarely, but treasure these experiences. You change lives, and sometimes lives change you. Episode 2, (laughs) Epinephrens. That's the name, it's awesome. Uh, Jen.
0: (laughs) Hi, my name is Jen James. I'm a PA in the emergency department. And my favorite vacation spot is Las Vegas because I absolutely love to people last, which is probably why I enjoy emergency medicine as well, because a lot of it is I get to look at a little portion of people's lives while they're in the ED. What are your guys' favorite vacation spots?
2: Great. Um, <laughs> my, name is, my name is Casey Brandt. I'm a clinical pharmacist in the emergency department. My favorite vacation spot is is Hawaii, I guess, and the uh, Big Island. Um, and because I mean, we get to go snorkeling and um, just do a lot of different stuff, whale watching and things like that. That was that's one of my favorite vacations that we did.
3: My name is Rob Brant. No relation.
2: No relation.
3: I am an ER doc for the last twelve years. And my favorite vacation spot? Oh boy. As a kid, we went to Nassau, Bahamas, and that place is kind of always magical in my mind, just sunny and beautiful and beach, and you can just snorkel and there, so probably there.
1: And my name is Jacob Barnett. I am an emergency department physician assistant. And I would say that my... I, we've all gone kind of beachy, except Jen, but, I mean, I love a good beach with a good book, some nice waves in the background. So um, the last place that we went... That was really good was Jamaica, so I'm going to say Jamaica right now.
3: Well, this episode is Hollywood Endings, where something happens that's amazing that despite you possibly uh, having somebody who could be circling the drain, managed to get it back. So uh, essentially, we've all had cases where we work our tails off, and no matter what happens, everything turns out junk, and somebody gets horribly ill and dies or something like that, and the ending's terrible. But... Every once in a while in the ER, every once in a while, we get that almost magical case where everything comes out perfectly. So, do you guys have any examples of cases where you were either terrified or it was something that happened that was good and case, you know, the that Hollywood ending where everything was like, oh right, it just this turned out okay. I
0: have one actually pretty good example. It was a patient that got transferred from an outside urgent care. Mm-hmm that had an elevated D-dimer. So essentially you're concerned about the possibility of a blood clot. And based on the patient's story, I wasn't even really sure why they ran a D-dimer. Like the story was almost classic indigestion. Um, She came in, she said, yeah, like when I had pizza for lunch and then half hour after that, I just felt like I had this burning sensation and it was like all the way up to my throat. And all I wanted was some Tums. And so she went to the urgent care to get tons and they just, this this huge workup and her denimer came back elevated. So they transferred her down to the ER for assessment. And I walk in and it's this very nice, um, older female. She's sitting in the bed on her phone, playing a game. Idols look fantastic. She looks fantastic. And I'm like. Okay, like, why did they run a D-dimer? Like, they had done an EKG and everything else to come back and I'm talking to her and I'm like, well, you know, we definitely need to get a, a CTA of your chest so we can look at the blood vessels, see if there's any evidence of any, any blood clots or any abnormalities, if you had any swelling in your legs or any long travel, going through all the risk factors for blood clots. She says, no, there's no risk factors, no real even past medical problems and Gets IV started, we get her sent over to CT, and I get this call as they're moving her from the ER cot onto the CT table that she started complaining of crushing chest pain.
3: No way. I'm
0: like, okay, I'm on my way over, get the scan done, I'll be there in just a minute. And I am walking through the department, which you guys know I was a two minute walk from my pod to okay. CT, and that's if I get distracted by the 18 people I'm going to pass. Um, and I get a second call from CT and they're like, she's dissecting. Oh, I now run over there, which. Oh, so a dissection is essentially when kind of the layers of the blood vessel are coming apart, So they're dissecting away from each other. And what can happen in the situation is. The blood kind of forces this new space between the walls of the blood vessels to be created. And then obviously, if it's going down this blind tube, it's not going to the rest of the body. I get to see Chi, and I'm looking at her seat, at the pictures as they're coming up on the screen. And she's dissecting from the aortic ring through the aortic arch, the thoracic aorta, the abdominal aorta. And she is dissecting into both iliacs. But no history of hypertension, no history of hyperlipidemia. When she got there, like her blood pressure was 112 over something. Like it was, she was a hypertensive. So I'm like, well, let's get her back to the room. So we get her moved over, we get her back to the room, we recheck her blood pressure. It's now 220 over 110. Oh. So on the phone immediately to get her transferred to another hospital in town because we don't have the correct surgeons on to take care of that dissection that close to the ring. And cardiothoracic surgeons, I've worked with a ton of them over the years. I worked at a cardiac unit in another hospital are either fantastic people who you want to hang out with because they're funny or you don't talk to them, breathe in their direction, do do anything. <laughs> they have their job and you, don't, you are a peon and you don't need to interfere with them.
1: Don't, don't disturb God, Jen.
0: Right. <laughs> I got one of the funny guys when I called this. So, I'm on a conference call with the, like, transfer center, the ER physician that's going to take the transfer, the cardiothoracic surgeon, and the intensivist. Um, We're getting an art line put in. We're starting this patient on blood pressure medications. We're getting her pulse down. Because the idea is if we lower the blood pressure and the pulse, we're lowering the force behind the blood. So, then, hopefully, the dissection will stop. Although, she didn't have a lot more room to digest at this point. And we're on the phone with the cardiothoracic surgeon, and I'm trying to explain all the medicines that he has and are the patient has on. And he goes, I'm just going to stop you for a second. And I'm like, oh, crap. He's going to ask me the one question I haven't asked this patient. I'm not going to know the answer. So it's always what happens with the subspecialist. He goes, I'm going to get off this phone call. I'll be in the OR. Just get him here as fast as you can. <laughs> goes, is okay. yep. I'll be the guy with the cell phone. Tell her to look for I was like, perfect. So we obviously immediately called for transfer, got the patient out of RER and transferred to the other hospital. I happen to know one of the people that works for the intensivist group at that hospital and they actually were taking care of the patient about a week later and the surgery was a success and the patient was doing well um, and was expected to go home and was going to have to have another surgery post- some healing to help with those iliac dissections, but was expected to make a full recovery, which was not at all the outcome I thought was going to happen. When they hey. were leaving, really yeah.
3: yeah. and that's when you put on the sunglasses and you've got like that. Uh, see, it, it's like a, looking sweet with the sun, <laughs> staring off into the horizon, You're, like, little face okay. flapping in the breeze in the back there.
1: I uh, I would like to say that when I when I was told to think of Hollywood stories. My mind might have gone slightly in a different direction, though, you know, uh, I was thinking more uh, telenovela than, uh, you know... Por que si? Yeah. The story that came to mind was we had, you know, it was like a, a group of kids that were, like, frequent flyers. I assumed that they hung out got bored, and then would come to the emergency department. Like, like you do. Like, you know, like, I don't know, like you hit up the... Like who do? Yeah, like you, you hit up the drugstore, you go to the mall, and then you swing by the emergency department for your inane complaint. Now, the problem was that this group of teenagers, 20-year-olds, they had a, a ringleader... No.
2: <laughs> I feel like you're setting up some story on some news network that is right. not a thing. So I don't know if you know about this, but we did an expose and there's these gangs of teenagers. Yes, they, yes, yes. With the kid, they go to the kids, they go to the drugstore and then they go to the Run emergency to their, department. It's a to it's use an insurance. Your precious healthcare resources. <laughs> and that's how they get their Tylenols mm-hmm. and their Benadryls and then, oh, sorry, continue. Yeah.
1: Um, so the the ringleader uh, was was a girl. She had a I, I think was about. She had a daughter who was about three months old, and she brought her with her. Um, and then the dad was there, but then her new boyfriend was there. Oh, I had a dream. No, and then, the, and then the, um, the dad's new girlfriend was there. So, and, of course, they all have complaints, and they're all put in rooms, but the rooms are, like, not that far away from each other, right? So they're jumping back and forth between rooms. Um, it, like, there was an STD check involved, and then there was also, like, the one girlfriend was getting pissed, and security was involved. It was just, you know, it was, like, sometimes where you're, like, walking around and you're, like, am I in a soap opera? (laughs) Um, So, you know, Hollywood endings can be dramatic, but I also feel like they can just be drama, too. High drama. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like, I was just kind of, like, at one point in time, they're, like, hey, the one girl feels threatened by the other girl. And I was, like, well, then the one girl can leave. Like, I'm not... (laughs) No one's keeping her here. So, <laughs> yes,
2: separate, right?
3: It's not an episode of Friends.
2: I need you to Google the term codependent. Right? <laughs> but I also would
1: like, I would like to point out that, like, I, I feel like their stories, like, they, it wasn't just, like, a single episode where, like, I felt like it was drama. It was, like, I saw them, like, three or four times. And each time, like, Someone was with someone else and they were having like different issues or like it, it it unfolded over like a month. And I was like, why do I know so much about these people's lives? Like,
0: I think I saw the same group of people, Jacob, and the day that I was them. You you know the you no know why they wanted a paternity test for that baby.
1: Oh yeah,
0: daddy's new girlfriend didn't think it was his because she had yeah. heard, and I'm like, you don't do paternity tests in
2: the emergency department.
0: Emergency. Yeah. I need to know who the father is. That <laughs> <laughs> the pandemic is kind of
2: across their revenue so we might want to look into you know other paternity
1: options. testing that could be I, like I,
2: you know we if, could get we could set up a drive-thru <laughs> we're not thinking outside the box i see this tent outside and somebody's just in their hands like
3: holding this baby out of their door <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah because- can you swab this <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> just coming over in full PPE like a husband <laughs> swabs a <of> baby. <laughs> you
2: are not the father. Oh thank God!
1: Oh good. And you drive away. <laughs>
2: it's gonna. It, it takes like hours at least to get the rapid COVID test. So there's gonna be like a ninety minute, you know, wait time where it's gonna be un- uncomfortable. Like person in the driver's seat, person in the passenger seat, just sitting there staring at each other like "Mm -hmm. we'll see we'll see Mm -hmm." like it's gonna it's just gonna be a long (laughs) 90 minutes of awkward silence or a just heated conversation or it's gonna be like you know whatever the test is i don't care i don't care i love you anyway and then the tester yeah 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 yeah. never mind never mind yeah you know um everyone will be in the same car
1: Group discount I do have another story that is a little bit more in the Hollywood. You know, it's that 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 moment of fear that you really talk about that kind of gets your adrenaline running. Mm-hmm. I had a very nice. I think she was fifty-something-year-old lady. Um, had recently, she had gone to some special clinic to have uh, some type of heart procedure done, um, and and maybe it was even, I think it's not through our healthcare system, um, but she lived near to our healthcare system. She had had recent open heart surgery and had her sternum stapled shut. Well, Mm -hmm. that morning she woke up and she sneezed and felt significant sternal pain and then started kind of oozing from her sternum. And she called 911, EMS brought her in, EMS kind of was like, yeah, there was, there was kind of quite a bit of blood, you know, but I kind of took it with a grain of salt. I think I had had like a really dramatic seroma, like the week before where I was like, yeah, post-surgical, you can have these gushes of blood, you know? But I like took I took the lady seriously and I was like, "Yeah, we're going to figure this out. We'll figure out what happened. We sent her down um for a cat scan to just take a look at everything." And she had pulled five of her six sternal wires through her sternum. So she literally had just like a floating chest. <laughs> and As she was in the emergency department, her work of breathing started to increase, her oozing from her surgical site started to increase, Um, to the point where I was standing at the bedside actively with a bandage on her, kind of like giving her chest some more support so that she could take proper breaths in and out. and eventually we got, uh, we did intubate her and then I think that kind of evened out her breathing um, and we were able to transfer her. But it was one of those moments where you go from, oh, this, is be- this will be okay, like we can get this figured out to, oh, this is this is intense, this is serious. And to the point where I think I remember like holding the rags on her chest and looking at the attending out the door like, do let's do something. What are we doing? Think. We got to fix this. How do we fix this?
3: You know how the chest <laughs> is normally not yes. wide open.
1: <laughs> yes. Open. This down. one's trying to go wide open.
2: Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Do you walk in and look her in the eyes and say, "Goes doing tight?"
3: No. <laughs> like Mortal Kombat finishing moves, because that's what it kind of feels like in your. Brain. Oh yeah,
2: just, just cracked. Crack. Oh my gosh! I would have like I would have been like. First of all, I just want to say, Tide said so it must have been mm. quite a sneeze. <laughs> Let's take a look at that chest.
3: Yes, right.
2: You know when you it um,
3: normally and your heart doesn't shoot from your chest? Well, yes, this one yes.
2: attempted to. This is why we have eyelids, so our eyes don't fly out. <laughs> uh, and we-
1: and, <laughs> and sternums. that I to
2: If you'd have just been able to blink your sternum harder, then, you know, it would have happened. I think that
0: those are the worst patients, though. It is the ones that, like, you know you don't have the skill set to save. And you now know what is wrong, and you're standing at the bedside, and it's your job to be reassuring to them in that situation. Yes. Mm.
2: Yeah. And now you're relying
0: on other it people. i got to get you to the, the right place process. for the, the specialist to take care of you. And inside your head, you're praying to whatever deity you believe in, saying, please just let me get this patient out of our ER and to the right place.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That the you know ambulance takes, you swear, eight hours to get there when really it's eight minutes. And, you know, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. You feel like mm-hmm. in those moments.
3: So the one that I had more recently was, and I think we've all had cases where the person comes in, um, and it's usually, it's a female and she's, you know, and she's a, a bigger gal, and she's coming in with lower abdominal pain, and you're like, "Huh? Uh, any chance you would be pregnant?" And the answer is, "No, of course not. No chance. Absolutely not. I couldn't be pregnant because I haven't had my period for eight months." And you're like, "Wait,
0: what?" <laughs> like,
3: okay, so this, so, and of course, this this occurred at you know the uh, not not at the main hospital, but at the uh, outlying hospital. So there's there's no connections. And it's you know it's six in the morning and I was like okay well I mean you, you know she's a little older but she's a little bigger I'm like okay and then and then she says something that you know strikes fear in everybody's heart. It's like and um you know this is it really hurts there's a lot of pressure it feels just like when I had my son uh-huh. no chance to be pregnant no no chance at all I I think I'm postmenopausal huh
0: mm-hmm. like can you pee for us yesterday now to check something.
3: I just
1: can't the, go. The baby head coming out of you disagrees with your assessment yes, of her. Your... Yes, yes.
3: Absolutely. No chance I could be pregnant. Well, it, 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 one of two things is going on, ma'am. Either you're pregnant or a very small man snuck into your vagina last night. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let me explain how statistics works to you. No chance.
3: Oh, because oh. there's somebody who's coming out, and I, I mean... One way or another, it's not going to come here because you've had no prenatal care and we need to get you over to someplace else because I don't want to deliver this possible small human who's had zero prenatal care. Um, So, you know, and you get them to the health that you get and everything was fine, but it was, you know, slightly terrifying when that happens.
0: What's
3: that? No, not a clue. Not a clue. So I mean, Did you. I, you, delivered, you, know, maybe? you I, I delivered nothing. I uh I jumped in the back of the EMS to take that to the nearest hospital so that. And she's like, I feel like I got to push, and I said, I feel like you got to keep your legs closed because
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you
3: because you know you don't know like is this a 27 week. Baby, and it's gonna
1: oh gosh.
3: instantly yeah. need resuscitation. I don't, I don't know. She doesn't know. She didn't know that she was
0: pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> you're alone. There isn't another provider there to
3: right. So okay. you know, it, I mean, that it was the <sighs> case, but and everything was fine. You know, every you, know, I, everybody got to where they needed to go, and everything happened. But at, at the time, you know, you're like um, it goes from like <clears> oh, it's it's just a person with abdominal pain to ah. Dude, there's there's more than one patient in the room, but there's only one person there. We need to get this
0: other one registered.
3: Yeah, that's right. Register as Sue Prize. Is there is there
0: a Sue Prize? Like how many babies have been born in our Circle Drive?
3: Oh my gosh. I personally have had two. Anybody else?
0: Um, so I have not been out there for any delivery, but my husband's best friend's wife delivered in our Circle Drive.
3: Husband's best friend's wife's cousin's teacher's piano. Ooh, wow.
0: Well, and when I heard this, I was I was terrified because this was their second birth and she had a lot of complications with the first. And all I could think was if her first her this second birth is anything like the first, it's going to be a big mess in that circle drive. And it was like Ooh. nice, smooth. They went straight upstairs. The attending that delivered went up and saw him later and everybody's happy and healthy.
1: Yay. I uh I did a a rotation and I was in the emergency department and somehow they had two deliveries in one night. And I just (laughs) feel like that's, yes. Like I was like, I know that was what I said. I was like, don't they, why are they down here? And honestly, the one I, I walked in, they were like, Hey, can you go see this lady? She's just been triaged or something. It was, she was still in triage and they wanted me to go see her. And she was kind of, like, in the fetal position, laying towards the wall. The complaint was belly pain. And, like, I was like, oh, I understand that you have belly pain. Can you show me where it is? And she turned over (laughs) with, like, an eight-month-pregnant stomach. And she goes, like, with the devil in her eyes, she stared at me. (laughs) And she goes, I have to push! (laughs) (laughs) And... And as a PA student, I turned around and ran out of the room. I kid you not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I can see how that would happen, no, having had a second kid and almost having it in the car on the way to the hospital. Like, just because, I don't know, no. it's, just, it's different. Like, I remember being at home and being like, mm, are those contractions? I don't know yet. Well, we have time to, you know, give like my young, my, like my daughter to, I'd be like, Oh, we have time to get her a bath. Oh, let's help my, you know, get the macaroni and cheese before we go, we go to uh, Or my husband I was like, we should go to the hospital. I was like, mm, fine. We we got time. We're okay. I don't think these are correct There's like many contractions. I don't think these are it. And it's like, and then, you know, we have the baby within like 30 minutes of being there. And I was like, no, I, I, I needed an epidural. And they were like, there isn't time. I was like, this is not on my bucket list. Like I need one. <laughs> Now and they were like the anesthesiologist like pokes his head in and he's like congratulations and he like goes away I was like get back here like, <laughs> <laughs> so I was this not, ever playing. not having a
0: second one I'm happy with the
2: one
0: with that. Yeah, I like,
2: yeah, man, girl I'm not playing that game again yeah nope I was like my husband was like the dude like looked in and he was like oh yeah nope I'm too late and I was like finishing his coffee, walking slow up there, like, I was just like, I'm gonna find that person, and just (laughs) the placenta. Yeah. And rush it, huh? (laughs) My husband's like, the way you were just, like, pounding on the roof when we were driving, he's like, I was like, drive faster, we're not having this baby in the car! I just cleaned the car! Oh, no, (laughs) (laughs) he
3: The uh, Hollywood ending, I guess the other one is, you know, the closest that you've gotten somebody back from the brink of death, because I have I did have one case where I had this guy who, you know, just the guy had bad lungs, you know, like COPD, older guy, huge guy, no neck, you know, kind of looked Jabba the Hutt-esque just because his head was so sunken into his body. And he decided that in the middle of the night was the time that he was going to clean his very small bathroom for the first time in his life. And so he got, like, random cleaning products. I don't even know, I don't remember what it was, but it was, like, a mixture of, like, the, a bleach and the works and liquid plumber, and he just starts putting everything in the bathroom, so it's just, you know, this chlorine bomb, and then... After he closed all the windows and doors in the house, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a small bathroom, so there's, like, no ventilation. Maybe he turned the fan on, I don't know. Um, so he comes in via EMS with a chief complaint of, oh. you know, he- foaming at the mouth and I mean this guy needed to be intubated you know he had needed a breathing tube put in like half an hour ago and he was on you know 15 liters of oxygen and he was still setting in the 60s and you look at this guy and you're like this guy's going to be an impossible intubation I mean he's going to be the worst intubation ever but you don't have a choice And fortunately, I had the foresight—the the foresight to be like, all right, this guy may need a surgical airway, so we called for the surgical airway before I even started the the intubation. And so we we we, we put this laid this guy flat and gave him the meds to kind of you know, to to put him down so that you could do the intubation. And you grab the laryngoscope and look inside, and you just see a wall of. Foam, just foam coming out of his airway. You can see nothing. So you're, you suck all that out, suck all of that out, and then all you see is in... So once the foam's out of the way, you just see a wall of just tissue. Just you can't see... Like, you cannot even see the back of this guy's throat, much less an airway to put the tube in. So you're like, okay. So you grab a bougie, and that won't go in. It's just nothing but tissue. So... Now you're, I mean, and this guy's sat was going down, so literally we start, you know, bagging this guy, and you're bagging against just a wall of fluid, which is just, you know, getting worse right in front of you. <laughs> of course, anesthesia comes in before the uh, the surgeon, and anesthesia's like, well, let me give it a try. I'm like have at it okay. so anesthesia yeah. goes and they're using their tricks and they're like i can't see anything i was like oh really so, <laughs> so i mean i'm happy to i mean this time you swallow your pride you know, please go for it but they're like we can't see anything i'm like yep so the surgeon gets in there and they do a surgical airway and everything turns out all right and they actually get this guy turns out oxygen came back and the person did fine but never as nervous as like you're sitting there helpless and you're like there's nothing I can do to save this person other than get a surgical airway. Now, I could have done a crike, but I knew that the surgery was going to be there in two seconds. So I was like, oh, they better hurry. Otherwise, I'm going to try to crike this guy. But, you know, his neck was enormous. So it was going to be – it was going to be a hard – even with a crike. But then yeah. surgery arrived and was like, all right, you know, please go ahead and do your thing. And everything turned out all right, just terrifying.
0: Um, I had a rough case a few years ago. I uh... – younger guy who had a serious alcohol issue and had come in because i i think all rough alcoholics do at some point he decided that he wanted to quit Mm -hmm. and even though had been drinking like a gallon or so of alcohol a day decided just to go cold turkey Uh (laughs) and so was experiencing some nasty withdrawals and so Initially when seeing the patient in the room kind of talking with the patient and his significant other and they're describing all kind of the classic symptoms of kind of sweats and nausea and vomiting and really tremulous and this question of maybe he's starting to kind of see or hear things that maybe aren't really there and the significant other goes, Yeah, he, like, passed out this morning and kind of did this weird shaking thing and then came around. And I'm like, okay, probably a seizure, which can, you know, frequently happen with alcohol withdrawal. And I'm asking the patient a few more questions, and he has this episode where, like, his eyes roll back in his head and he kind of shakes a little bit, and I'm kind of looking at him, and the girlfriend's like, that's what he did, that's what he did. And I happened to glance up at the monitor, and I – watching sinus-sinus with some artifacts, and I watched the patient go into torsades, which is an awful cardiac arrhythmia that does not tend to allow your heart to push blood to the rest of the body. So I grab the code button on the wall because it's just myself and the patient and the significant other in the room. And of course, as everyone comes running into the room, the patient wakes up and is like, what happened? (laughs) <laughs> and I know no one doesn't believe me because patients don't spontaneously come out of facades on their own. Like, that doesn't happen. And so I go charging out of the room to the monitor and I pull it up. And I don't want to say it was barking orders, but I was probably less than my normal polite self. Which <laughs> meowing,
3: meowing <laughs> orders, not barking.
0: You know, <laughs> We need magnesium now, like give them four grams, just throw it in there. Like this has got to be an electrolyte abnormality from the chronic alcoholism and the attending standing there. And she's agreeing with me and we get the patient's mag back and it was 0. 0.6. Oh. <laughs> Uh, potassium was like 1.3 um, so it was it was just an off situation and I literally said to my tech and if you've ever been in the ER people know our techs are probably the busiest staff members we have because they mm-hmm. do everything um, they're transferring patients they're helping patients with snacks and restrooms mm-hmm. and, they're and I told my tech I said I don't care what anyone asks you to do you were to sit at this monitor and watch that patient because he is going to go back into VTech like, I, we cannot get the magnesium into him fast enough for this not to happen. And sure enough, um, was probably in the department for five, ten minutes after that, went back into torsades, and we ended up having to uh, shock the patient and gave more mag and intubated and ended up in ICU. Um, ended up having a decent outcome, was diagnosed with uh, an electrolyte um, disorder as well as the oh, wow. chronic alcoholism. So the two together was what caused such significant depletion. But I I was like, no one's going to believe me that this patient went in and out of torsades in front of me and that he wasn't actually having withdrawal seizures, but he was having these episodes of unsustained VTAC that were non-perfusing. I had my cardiac monitor to prove it.
3: That reminds me of a story of my own um, in the other direction. So uh, when I was in residency, I was, uh, I did a rotation in Flint, Michigan, which is – it's a rough ER. I mean, the the docs – I mean, everybody who works there is just unbelievably fantastic. I mean, just because you have to be because you see everything that comes in. So I was taking care of a person who was hyperkalemic. Um, Their potassium was like – I mean, it was really high. It was like 8 points high, and they weren't a dialysis patient, which is bad. So I was – it was And it was just me in the room, and I was putting in a big vasca. I was putting a big um, central line in the patient's groin so that they could get, you know, emergency dialysis. And I had already ordered the calcium, but for whatever reason, it had to come from pharmacy. So we were just waiting for the calcium to come, which could stabilize the cardiac membrane. And the guy, I mean, he was tachycardic and uncomfortable, and his EKG just showed these huge peak T waves. I mean, it was it was a scary-looking EKG. So, But we were, you know, doing everything right. So I was putting it in and kind of watching the monitor and this huge peak T waves and this scary thing. And I'm in there and there's nothing going on. And then all of a sudden, I hear the patient go,
0: <laughs>
3: It's just never good. And I look up and I just see just going just just blatant V-tack on the monitor. And I'm like, oh, no, wait, wait, what do I do? And then I'm like, And somehow, I think we we didn't discuss this beforehand or like recently, but it's like he went into VTAC, right in front of me, I'm like, you can do a precordial thump, which is Mm -hmm. where you do one, essentially you take a fist and you hit him once hard on the chest to kind of give them a few jewels, allegedly, and you can maybe put him back in the normal rhythm. So I'm like, do I do this? Do do I do this? And I'm like, I gotta do this. So I reach up and go, booya and hit him right smack in the chest, and he goes, huh? And he looks at me and goes, what's going on? I'm like, I just made you better. <laughs> I gave you the, the, the punch of life. And so get
1: That's the, awesome. Yeah,
3: so get the catheter in and get the calcium in, and he was fine. And I go to tell my attending, and she's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, yeah. I just punched this guy the punch of life. He's just not impressed, but I was like the coolest thing that I'd ever done in, the, in, in that time of my life. It's like, yeah, no big deal.
2: At least he didn't punch the yeah, I know. I think you would have felt it. You would have just still been on your adrenaline high for like saving someone's life with your bare hands. My bare hands. <laughs> Punch me again. I didn't feel it. <laughs> that reminds me of a story. Um, it's this little lady, kind of similar thing. We were taking care of her. Electrolytes are all out of whack. And so sometimes when we're getting a bunch of meds on board, um, quickly we'll help give um, medication. So she had hyperkalemia and we were helping push the calcium, um, gluconate and so we're giving a gram and if they're stable, we'll push it over like five minutes or something. So we're hoping the nurse has a calcium to give and some other other meds. And so I was like, I'll push the calcium and, you know, go grab the other stuff. And so I'm in the room, ladies on the monitor and she's very nice talking and she's telling me about this meatloaf recipe while I'm pushing the calcium. And she's like, oh, you know what the secret is to, you know, making your meatloaf, uh, you know, really good. And I was like, oh no, um, you know, you know, I was like, you know, we're just making this conversation. I was like, oh, what is it? And she's like, oh, well, what I do to give my meatloaf that extra little dip if I add some salsa. And I was like, Oh, i have never, I've never heard that. And I was like, really? Like what kind of, you know, we're talking and she's like, and then what I do. And then all of a sudden she stops talking and she, like falls back and her eyes roll at her head. I look at the monitor, like nothing's really going on, but she's just like unresponsive. I am like, ma'am, Ma'am, what do you, what tell me? <laughs> and I like, I'm, and I I'm like, I'm like, did I push it too fast? So I was like, I'm like putting the calcium. I was like, no, was like really slow. And I'm like, oh my God, she's like unresponsive. And I was like, Huh ah. and I'm like in the alone in the room. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I was like, oh my God. And I was like, oh, no, you have to wake up and tell me the secret to the needle. And so I like I like go out and I'm like, ah, uh, I didn't know if I should pull the code button at that point. But I, I when I was like, I, I, I like that. You know, that attending take care of her. I was like, hey, she's not responding. Like, I was like, should we pull the coat on, and they all came in. And of course, like, I was like, man, we we're like, ma'am, 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 ma'am. And did, like, she, and then she like came, she was like, huh, oh, what's going on? And I was like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> like, she like came right back around. Like, I don't know what happened. Like, uh, you know, that she had like the, just a, kind of the regular tracing there. Like I didn't see, she had a like abnormality in her, like EKG or anything or what was going on. I don't know why she went unresponsive, but I was like rubbing her chest. Like, ma'am, wake up. You have to finish telling me about this meal of recipe. Like, <laughs> like I was like, oh my god, do not die in the middle of giving me this recipe secret. It will, it will, it will hurt me. Like I, you know, and, and obviously it will be very sad. But also, like, come on, like, just <laughs> see, like, what's going on? Like, oh my chest, and I was like, oh, like, but I was like, oh my god, I'm so glad you're not dead. But they, like, everybody came in, they were like, ma'am, ma'am, and she was, she was legit, like, unresponsive for like 15, 20 seconds, and then they were like, okay, we gotta move her, and all of a sudden she was like, was. What's going on? Like she came right back around. I was like, oh, all right, oh, Okay. She didn't want to the right get... to her recipe. Yeah, well, I, did you get the... Well, it, did was, you get it to... was just, she just came back around till it was just the salsa. It gives it that little, that little zip and that's all it was. And she was talking about how you make it and stuff. I don't remember. Like I, I, I just started panicking after I learned <laughs> the salsa part. Like I just, I was like, I don't, I don't think we had finished the conversation about that. She kind of lost track of what we were talking about. Like I was just like. I just remember, like, this lady going unresponsive in the middle of me, you know, you know, cooking meds for, like, five minutes. Each. They're chit-chatting with me, and it's always the nicest people. Oh, well, <laughs> this stuff there was too. another it's always the <laughs> nicest people. Yes.
3: I'm guessing that this lady got a secret recipe from, like, a gypsy who said, I will tell you, but if you tell anyone else, <laughs> you'll die. Yeah. The secret is salsa
0: right. Elsa.
3: And the second secret yeah. ingredient that she told her and said, but if you tell anyone... And, and then she was like, all right, well, I got to tell somebody. And that, yep, there it was. Curse an- yeah.
2: this, this gnarled hand reached from the depths of Hades and like held onto her heart as a warning just as she was <laughs> about to tell me the second part and then stopped <laughs> her. That's I wish you I were meant. like,
1: I wish you were like, yeah, I tried it. And I mean, it was OK, but it wasn't anything special. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no. I'm a, Cause
2: you don't, I know, don't know, know the true secret. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that was a, maybe it was just like, Oh, and you had to mix the bread from the last or something. I don't know. like maybe it's maybe this was the important part. I'm just I always wonder about that. I'm like, should I try making meatloaf with salsa or is it gonna curse me? Like I don't know.
3: And on yeah. that note, oh my gosh, thank you everybody for uh sticking with us for episode two. Um, stay tuned for episode three, which is titled uh, But Google Told Me and mm-hmm. um Thank you guys for coming, and we'll see you in a week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Epinephrine. And as always, remember, these stories are based on true stories, but they have been altered from the original to protect the innocent or sometimes the not-so-innocent. Please remember, we are medical providers, but we are not your medical providers. So if you do have actual medical problems, please go see some actual medical doctors. And be smart, be safe, and have fun. In that order. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.
1: Like with the devil in her eyes, she stared at me and she goes, I have to push.